0: Welcome to the Walk With Me podcast. I'm Pastor Stephen Bond from the Vine Church in Chapel Hill, Tennessee, and I'm excited that you are walking with me. What we do each day is we look at about three chapters of Scripture that I'm just organically reading through in my time with the Lord, and we're going to discuss them for around 20 minutes. You're going to get the most out of this if you read these chapters individually, but hopefully together we'll be able to hear the voice of the Lord as we're meeting each day. Just quick one friend in front of you. Yeah. Hey. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping down on your word. I'm Today's passages from Jeremiah 16, 17, and 18, and there's so much ground to cover. There is so much depth in these three chapters, just um Passages that we've quoted, we've memorized, we've recited, we've heard in sermons and series crafted from just incredible passage of, passages of scripture just found in these <clears throat> in these three chapters 16, seventeen and 18 so I'm going to try to do my best to to at least graze the surface of, of the uh, context of these three chapters um, and how it's ministering to me this morning in chapter 16 he specifically tells Jeremiah not to take a wife or have children really to settle down at all in the land because there's such a great wave of destruction coming to the land because of their wickedness and their disobedience. And he says, basically, you don't want to get entangled in that because I'm going to make an example out of them. And, um, and so, I basically, I don't want you to get caught up in in that Jeremiah. And he even says that when he makes an example out of them, the the example he's saying is that there's going to be there's going to be a great famine to come upon their land. There's going to be great destruction, and it's going to be so uh, it's going to be so plainly obvious that it's from the Lord that Jeremiah specifically instructed, do not lament or grieve their deaths. Basically, there's going to be bodies laying everywhere. And it says the birds of the air are going to come and eat away their bodies. No one's even going to get proper burials. Um, he's like, this is my plan, is that everyone's going to die, and it's going to be scattered bodies everywhere. And you can even imagine what the aroma of that's going to smell like. I mean, we really, we can't even imagine, right? But we can even think of what we, we know what rotting flesh smells like, even if there's... You know, dead animal or something, but imagine an entire, an entire nation to be just filled with these rotting carcasses and um the birds coming and picking away and you know i'm sorry for the gruesome picture but i think sometimes we just read past these passages like they're not a big deal but i mean even i can't even imagine i can't even imagine the aroma in a poorly insulated house right (laughs) there's not it's not like our their homes were like our homes this would have been what you would wake up in the morning and smelling and what you'd go to bed at night smelling i mean you'd want to Probably take a rag and cover your face with it, just to try to block out some of this the stench and again, even fathom walking around the city uh, as you're seeing people that you know, people that you've cared for, and just watching the birds, the birds picking away at their uh, their eyes and their bodies. And I, I mean, I, again, I'm sorry, but what what are ama- what, what are horribly amazing, but just just like unthinkable. It's really I, I'm kind of without words. Just unthinkable picture. And this is what the Lord says is is going to take place because of their idolatry, because of their wicked their wickedness. And um and so he says, you don't want to get entangled with that. So this is what I'm about to do. So, you know, just 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 know that that's what's coming. So uh then then he says something that that's that's kind of the big context of chapter 16 is everything. Um that I just said, but I think it's interesting the way that he puts it in verse 5 because he says Do not enter the house of mourning or go to lament or grieve for them. That's an, that's an interesting assignment too, is these are gonna be, there's gonna be, there's gonna be death everywhere. And I don't want you to shed a tear. I don't want you to do anything that, that we would traditionally do to mourn. Because this is not going to be a time of mourning. This is going to be a time of deserved judgment. And, um, you're not going to lament for the people. This is calling for a lament of, of action. And, um, and that's, that's deep too, you know, to even to be able to, to to even think of, to suppress the lamenting because it's what our land and it's what our people are deserving of, right? It's not, it's not a heartlessness. It's an understanding of the Lord's will. And so he says, do not enter the house of mourning or go to lament or grieve for them for I have, this is what I liked here. This is, for I have taken away my peace from this people. My steadfast love and mercy declares the Lord, both great and small shall die in this land. And that's where he goes to say, they won't be married. No, they won't be buried. No one's going to lament for them. Right. But I just think it's so interesting to think about that all that the Lord would have to do for us to enter into a state of complete and utter destruction and death. It's not even that he has to, this is deep, but this is what blessed me this morning It's not that he even has to cause anything. He just has to take away something. Have you ever even thought about that? He says, I've taken away my peace from this people. I've taken away my steadfast love from from this people. I've taken away my mercy from these people. And just by, you know, we always think of God sending and causing. But even just in this passage, He's like, even just by removing his peace, his love, and his mercy, the entire nation lay, is laid waste. Like it just it just reminds me of how God is holding us all together. And he's he, he, he is um the the very the very glue, the very substance, the very matter that is that is holding everything into its right place. And even by just taking away of His peace, of His presence, of His love, of His mercy. He, we, we're we entirely laid into disaster. And that's so true. And if we could keep that in our minds, you know, it's almost like the positive-negative thing. Sometimes we're more motivated by positive reinforcement. Sometimes it's negative reinforcement. You know, it's like working out. Sometimes we're like, man, I want abs. I want to look good at the beach. And then other times it's like, a, I just want to be able to breathe when I go upstairs. You know, I, I, I just want to not dropped dead at forty five because of diabetes. You know, there's just we, there's sometimes we have different motivations, you know. I wanna wear I wanna wear a new size jeans. You know, it's it's positive and negative sometimes. Normally normally the negative is a greater um motivator. And uh so it's like we always think about like, well I wanna go and I wanna be in relationship with the Lord so I can obtain joy. So that I can have a peace. So that I can, you know, but it's even from the other side of it, it's like, I want to remain with the Lord so that I don't, so that He doesn't take away the peace that He's given me, that He doesn't take away the mercies that He's given me, that He doesn't take away the love that He's given me. Because if I were to lose those things, I would immediately be into a state of utter destruction because He is what's holding me together. Don't turn that into something theologically that I'm not saying that we have to be fearful of accidentally, you know, saying a cuss word and losing the love of God from our lives and and dying. You know, don't 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 make it dogmatic. It's just that there's a there's a healthy place where David was at, where he would pray things like, "Take not thy Holy Spirit from me." Because the heart is in such a desperate state of, I can't lose you. More than I want you to give me anything, my heart's cry is that I do nothing that would accidentally position me against you for even a moment's time because I need your love. I need your mercy. I need your peace because I know without your peace and without your love and without your mercy, my entire life would be laid waste. It would it would it would it would have the stench of of rotting carcasses, if if I were to not be positioned with you for just a moment's time. There's something powerful about that. I always say I think sometimes we just I, I hate doctrine. I hate doctrinal statements. I hate I just I hate all that stuff. It's not on our website at the church that I pastor. It's not. I just hate all that stuff because it chokes out the Holy Spirit. It's good to have sound doctrine, but every time we open the Word, if we if we Read the word through our doctrine, we're going to miss out on everything it has to say, right? I don't want to. I don't want to read that passage and go, "Well, he'd never take his love from me," because you know, because of Jesus and Romans chapter eight, it says, "You know, not even hell can separate me from his love." So let me just go about with my life. It's, (laughs) it's like, wait a second. Let's, let's just read here of what would take place if God were to take away his peace his love and his mercy, not even just for me, but from our, from our nation, from our world in a moment's time, it would be laid waste. That's how powerful the Lord God is. That's what we should take away from that passage is, wow, we are, we are leaning on you more than we, more than we even realize. And, and, and I want to talk about mercy for just like six seconds, because I still haven't barely touched 17 or 18, but I've heard it said, and I really like it, the difference between mercy and grace. And I wanted to take a minute to talk about it because grace is receiving or getting what you don't deserve. Okay. So that's grace is when God gives us something that we don't deserve, right? We're saved by grace. Okay. We've been given what we don't deserve, right? And then mercy is not getting what you do deserve, Okay, grace is getting what I don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what I do deserve. Okay, because that's the truth of it, is that we all have sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and we've all had deceitful, wicked hearts, we've all had evil motives and, and impure minds. And it's the mercy of God that relents from us getting what we deserve. And so if he were to take away his mercy from us, then we would immediately receive what we deserve. And, and that's a that's a scary thought. And that makes us that should make us appreciate the love of God and the mercy of God and the blood of Jesus that has atoned for our sins and the mercy that Scripture says is new for us every day. Every day he's made a commitment again. I'm not going to give them what they do deserve man, thank you, Lord, for your mercy. <laughs> How much do we need to not get what we deserve? I love that so much. Okay, chapter 17 is, um. oh, man, I could preach oh, for a week on <laughs> these three chapters. But I want to talk about 17 because I love it. Um, down in verse 7, it says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it, it does not cease to bear fruit. So I want to talk about that for just a second. So that's, of course, uh, that's Jeremiah 17 and that's starting in verse seven and it goes through and verse eight also, but it sounds, of course, synonymous to Psalm chapter one, right? Blessed is the man. Right. It's the same it's the same kind of concept of of being planted by the riverbank. It's the same it's the same spiritual um picture of that when we are in right relationship with the Lord and we're heeding and we're obeying and we're listening to his word, that there is a supernatural effect to where the the life the lifeblood of my life and the life source of my life no longer becomes in the natural. It becomes into the supernatural. Meaning, I'm no longer controlled by who's in office. My joy is not, it has nothing to do with anything happening politically. My joy and my peace, it has nothing to do with anything that's happening in my circumstances and my finances. It has nothing to do with anything that's happening in my family. I mean, it's literally, I become, I become, um, planted. I become transplanted into the house of the Lord from my own house. I become a resident. This is about being into the kingdom. I, I no longer, I lose my citizenship and I become a citizen of heaven. And there's just this whole, there's this whole transition to where it's like, now I, and therefore I don't fear famine. Therefore I'm not afraid of drought. Therefore I'm not affected. You know, the, the, the plants that are planted closest to the riverbank whose roots go down beneath the surface and then find water, they don't even know when there is drought. They don't even know when there is famine because they continue to bear fruit. And that is what is, uh, our, our pursuit of our life is, is to trust in the Lord so much so and to ab- abide in his word so much so that the external things that are happening Are not even affecting me. That's how you know that you've found water in the supernatural. That's how you know you've found living water. That's how you know that you're really abiding with the Lord is when you look out upon a season and you realize the steadfastness that you were walking through that season with and how You know, cars were breaking down and people were upset with you and money got tight and a bill came in that you weren't expecting and, you know, and then someone got sick and then you went to the doctor and then, you know, and you just kind of look through all this kind of stuff and, but yet you're like, I never felt like I was on a roller coaster ride through any of that. It wasn't like there was highs and lows. I was just steadfast. I just trusted in the Lord. That's what is what, that's what we're commissioned to. Now, in continuing on that same thought, the very next verse, verse 9, we, we quote this one a lot. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Some translations say wicked, sick, and it's a sickness that's a, that causes a, a wickedness. Who can understand it? Okay, now we've made something out of that passage. A lot of times we've quoted it like uh, the heart the human heart is just wicked, period. It's all it's ever going to be. The heart's wicked. That's not really true. Uh, David's heart was like the Lord's heart. Okay, he, is, he was after the Lord's heart. He was a man after God's own heart. Therefore, David's heart became like the Lord's heart. It conformed to the Lord's heart. And then David was in a unique position where the Lord told him, do all of that that is within your heart. <laughs> I love that, right? Because sometimes it's hard to know what to do. David, uh, God told David, do what's in your heart, right? Now, that's dangerous advice. That's advice that can only give to someone whose heart is like the Lord's heart. Because everyone is doing what's in their heart. The only difference is some are doing what's wicked and some are doing what's righteous. Ultimately, we're always going to listen to our heart, Okay. And we don't understand our heart. That's the next passage. I, it says, who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the mind. And I give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So, the pursuit is not really about denying what's in my heart. You know, we've kind of, I've heard it that way. I've preached it that way before. Like, the heart is wicked, so be careful, just don't listen to it. You know, that that's... That's true in some sense. Like, I, I don't need to just be controlled by my emotions. Absolutely. I control my emotions that only my emotions control me. But the greater pursuit is not to live a lifestyle of continuously denying the wickedness of my heart, but that my heart would become like the Lord's heart. And therefore, I could listen to my heart because my heart is beating in rhythm with the Lord's. That's the goal. That's the real pursuit. But I must know that if I become, <clears throat> if I, if I become, um, If I'm not grafted into the Lord, and if I'm not walking with the Lord, then I must know the depravity of my heart. And the the natural state of my heart will fall back into a wicked and evil state. So it's good to know that. It's good to know that my heart, left alone from the Lord, will become deceitful and wicked, and I'll no longer be able to listen to it. And many people have actually done miserable, wretched, wicked things that have followed the Lord for a time, and they got accustomed to listening to their heart because they were in rhythm with the Lord, and they and then they quit walking with the Lord, but yet they kept listening to their heart, and they uh, you know cheated on their wives, and they left their job and, and that it was that they were called to, and they spent money that they didn't have, and they you know Christian people do wicked things too, and a lot of it, it it comes from falling in and out of rhythm with the Lord's heartbeat. But yet continuously listening to what the heart has to say. So I know that's kind of deep, but I just wanted to cover that, that, that the heart is in its natural state. It's deceitful, which means it's not trustworthy. It can't be listened to often. So I need to understand that about the heart without the Lord. And then I need to try to keep my heart into, into the rhythm of the Lord's heart by pursuing Him and letting the, the roots grow down deep within in, in him and abiding with him so that I can listen to my heart and do what's in my heart. But I, but I must be con- constantly aware of the fact that if I fall out of rhythm with the Lord, my heart will be untrustworthy and not worthy of listening to. Okay. And so he goes on then, and, and then he tries to teach them about the Sabbath, and oh man, I need fifteen more minutes, but he's teaching them about the Sabbath, and they need to the whole point of of Sabbath for this passage is that he says, basically, if you keep the Sabbath, i'll bless you and uh they 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 kind of roll their eyes at it. They're not going to do it. But what he's asking for is surrender. The Lord always needs surrender in which he can work in. Even if it was a day of the week, even if it's 10% of your income, even if it's something that's really not that big of a deal, it gives the, the Lord some room. It gives him some ground. You can't even think that you're going to be in, 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 in any kind of an abiding relationship with the Lord until you're willing to submit something, until you're willing to give. Your you know first ten percent fifteen percent twenty percent of your income until you're willing to give to him the first hour of your day. I mean he needs this room. He we can't even we. I don't I don't mean to sound derogatory here, but I'm just saying it's so elementary. You can't even think that you're going to have any kind of of uh, supernatural uplifting or any kind of, of of peace in your life without giving the lord some of yourself for him to work with and um so we, we must start in those places and, and of course they roll their eyes at it they're not going to do do to it anything so the lord gives up uh, jeremiah a vision in chapter 18 that we're from we're fairly familiar with too and i really didn't save any time to talk about it but it's the vision um uh, he show he takes him down to the potter's house and he shows him this potter working on the wheel with the clay and he's working on something and it doesn't go the way that he wants it to so he he smashes it and he starts over and he builds something else and what the lord is ministering to jeremiah is to is to remind them that israel is the clay in the potter's hands and he can do with it the clay whatever he pleases and he can build it up or he can tear it down and um You know, for us, we need to continuously remind our, we need to be remembered of that, that we are in the Lord's hands. And when the Lord chooses to, He can do with us what He wills. And, um, we need to remember that in, in keeping with His sovereignty and keeping with His power. And then we should even actually yield to it and actually, and actually come before the Lord in a submissive state and go, Lord, I know that I am clay in your hands. Make me what you want from me.